Talking Tesla. Talking Tesla. Tesla. I'm not sure if like my foot should be on the brake or the accelerator. They put rings on Elon. It must be some sort of geometrical algorithm. Are you ready now? Oh, I'm sure this is math. Tom. <laughs> Robert. Yeah. Well, all right, fellas. Well, let's go. How am I expected to drive a car without autopilot? So here's the deal. You know, I'm not a good park at all. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah. Just think that this is a car company that is run by super Auto geeks. All the other cars are going to be stupid cars compared to this car. Tesla. You don't even have Tesla. Yep. I remember that. You've got a Model X. seen the future, and it is light pole charging. No, I wouldn't call it a screw-up. Do you like your Model X? God, it's beautiful. Okay, uh, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Talking Tesla 54. We're going to try this again. This is the 12th time we've done it. First of all, I'd like to say to my Jewish brothers here, Happy New Year. Queso fresco. What? I don't know. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I just felt like saying something that didn't make Fresh any sense. Cheese? <laughs> what? Oh my God. What? Fresh cheese. Fresh cheese, buddy. Fresh cheese to you as well. Well, great. This is a disaster. <laughs> it's not a disaster. People are in their cars right now laughing their asses off at my response to Happy New Year. Hopefully, they're using autopilot and not crashing their cars. Hopefully. Look, it's year 57-something. Uh, it's been smooth sailing for your people. Hasn't been any hiccups that I'm aware of. Wow. So, uh, happy, you went there. happy New Year. You went there again. I was trying to make You're light supposed of, to make a very the... complicated history. Yeah, <laughs> because we're the only religion with a complicated history. Let's continue to talk about uh, religion on Mars. Let's not talk about religion on <laughs> Mars, but let's talk about going to Mars. Look, it feels like many, many months ago that Elon... Uh, was down in Mexico. Was it in Mexico? It yes, was. Guadalajara. It, Guadalajara. Guadalajara. And he got up there and he gave a big long spiel about going to Mars. Now, we do not have 17 hours to do Talking Tesla, although it often feels like that. <laughs> so I'm just going to talk about some of the most important points. So here we go. Why should we go to Mars? Elon? There, there are really two fundamental paths. History is going to bifurcate along two directions. One, one, one path is we stay on Earth forever. Um, and then there will be some eventual extinction event. Um, I, I don't have an immediate doomsday prophecy, but there's, it's eventually history suggests there will be some, some doomsday event. Uh, the alternative is to become a space-faring civilization and a multi-planet species, which uh, I hope you would agree that is the right way to go. Yes? <laughs> so uh, here's what he says. It's close to Earth. It's really similar to Earth. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> I had a cough. This Look, man, whatever. This farting and burping, and it's just disgusting. And that's only your side of the table. <laughs> it's really similar. It has ice, which you can In turn into ways. water. It's terraformable. Um, for example, uh, Robert has a little cup here. And on the side of the cup is red Mars. And then he put warm tea in it, and magically it turned into a blue planet. And I'm going to tweet that picture right now. So Talking Tesla can check it out. And then tweet it after it cools down and then reverse the order. That would be really good. And then, and then delay the tweet three days till this episode comes out because it's going to be like the most non-sequitur tweet in the history of Talking Tesla. Maybe it'll be like a tease. Maybe yeah. I'll just say. There you go. Be, be sure to listen on Wednesday. He also says that you can compress the atmosphere and you can grow plants, that it's a fun place to go because it has one-third the gravity of Earth so you can jump around and, you know, slam dunk for the first time in your life if you're my height. Woo-woo! Good work. Um, although, you know, there was that guy, uh, what's his name? Uh, Muggsy Bogues? No, not Muggsy. He was 5'3". There was another one who was 5'7". 
And he, he won the slam dunk competition one year. What was his name? Oh, I don't know. It just reminds me of the movie Jump he, Virginia. Jump Virginia. Don't you remember that movie? I got no, nothing. I got nothing. It's like a sci-fi movie about a guy who goes to Mars. It's from a book. It's classic. I'll have to remember about that. It's not that classic. Um, <laughs> the Mars days are similar to Earth and time, so that won't wreck your circadian Just a little so bit more than 24 hours. And currently, however, it is too expensive. No. Under the current cost model, it would cost approximately $10 billion per person. So Mel could go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> but if you get it right, lonely. he believes that you can get it down to $200,000 per person, and then he spends the rest of the time going through how they could make that happen. So they're going to have to get the cost down by an order of magnitude of four to five times. I think this is very exciting, but Tom could give a rat's potato. What the hell? First off, what the hell is an order of magnitude? What, is that a it's mathematical 10X thing? Times it's 10x. 10X. All right. A class in a system of classification determined by size, each class being a number of times, usually 10, greater or smaller than the one before. Thank you very so much. So four to five times. I appreciate that. So we're going to... We're, we're, which, which compound, by the way. We're, yeah, it's we're, we're trying to get to Mars because we've screwed up this planet, mm-hmm. and the plan is to screw up that planet's atmosphere and try to turn it into Earth. So that's all theoretical. That's good times. And now... If you listen to the whole plan, and I don't know if you guys did listen, every minute of it, his whole idea was that there would be this armada. Let's call it an armada of capsules floating out. No, it'd be uh, uh, Earthish. Earthish armada doesn't sound as good as Spanish. An Earthish armada hanging out in in our atmosphere, waiting for the two year window to open. Because you'd have like you'd have to send up a group of people, and they'd be in their capsule, and then there'd be like. Three or four flights back and forth to refuel that capsule. Send another capsule up. Three or four flights to to fuel that capsule. So there'd be thousands of humans uh, living in these small capsules, which didn't, to me, look like a place you wanted to hang out for a couple of years while floating around Earth. It's not years. It is a couple. It could theoretically, for the first couple of capsules, no, it no, would be. You, you do all the refills and stuff, and then you just send the people up at the last second. Now we're taking off in five minutes. Better get up there. In what? In a space shuttle-like organism. <laughs> I don't think that was part of the plan. There wasn't like a human transfer bridge in any of the stuff that he talked about. There's going to be one. You're just yeah. sending so, it all up there, I you're refueling, and then you'll send the people up. There were two scenarios he talked about. One was send people up in a ship, and then over a period of maybe a, a few days to a few weeks, send up four more ships to refuel their ship. Right, but he's talking that about sending 10,000 people at a time to Mars, so there needs to be a bunch of those capsules well, floating up it there. Does, they don't all have to leave at the same second. The window that Mars, you know, it's like a month-long window that Mars is there in a close proximity that we can take, and they showed this in the video, take the the capsule, if you want to call it that, the Mars Colonial Transporter, to Mars via moon, so using moon gravity to catapult it over or, or slingshot it over. And so that lineup is, is days. It's not hours. It's Right, but they all two. have to be in place. If you're going to send 10,000 of them, that's over 100 of those capsules ready to well, go. There's going to be a lot of launching going on for a month before and maybe for the entire month that it's up there. And so, yeah, at full steam, they're going to be sending a lot of people. In the beginning, it's like one ship or two ships. 
There seems to be a deeper issue here, Tom. Now, if I could sort of relay the facial expressions that Tom has, <laughs> it suggests just you're annoyed at Elon. I'm not annoyed. I'm annoyed at he the He wants whole... to save the human race. His thing was not necessarily that we've screwed up this earth and we should go screw up another one. His thing was there is going to be an extinction-level event right. either us or that. some asteroid, and it would be really sad if the I... human race was destroyed by some, you know, epoch-destroying big, large rock that comes in and... So we should be a multi-planet species. But that is the history of man and and life on this planet. Like, in a nutshell, the only reason that it's been able to sort of move forward are these extinction events. And Well, we're, that's we're, like saying uh, cancer's always been a part of uh, human history. I guess that's true. And uh, I'm not going to treat my cancer. And sudden right. death from is, myocardial infarction, but move forward. We're going to move forward. So in we're using electricity years, for that, baby. In 100 years, a million people... That's the end of his goal, right? Was like about a million people living on Mars in about a hundred years. Not, not the end of his goal. He shows us going to Euripides and all the other moons in the solar system to become inter, whatever interplanetary, interlarger, creating fuel depots in the uh, the asteroid belt that we could access to go further. And well, what was that? This is was, the beginning of something. Wasn't really it big. like what? What movie is it where the uh, the 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 race of beings goes from planet to planet, sucking the the sort of resources from that uh, planet and moving on to the next? Uh, I one? believe that is every sound, other science fiction movie. You anyway. sound like Agent Smith, Mister Anderson. You're, you're a, a virus. virus. I like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. It came to me when I tried to classify your species. I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease. A cancer of this planet, you are a plague, and we are the cure. A virus that is So let me ask you guys, rubber everything. hits the road, you guys, are you going to Mars, if you could? Would you go? I'm afraid of heights. Once there's a Starbucks <laughs> there, yeah, why not? Did it, does it have to be Starbucks? It just Can it has not to be, be a decent cup of coffee? An established, well, hey, it could be, you know. I'm like, I'm like Elon, I don't want to go tomorrow because I'm a Freddy cat. Even though early in my career, I thought I would work for NASA and try and be an astronaut. It was way back in the day. Mm-hmm. But I'm a bit like Elon in that once my life here is pretty much toast, I'm old. One last adventure. I'm like, let's say I'm 80 years old and still fairly robust. I'm like, yeah, I'll get in a rocket and go over there. But at that point, they're probably not going to take no, me. No, they don't want useless. you. Right. You can't. Like, people <laughs> they are, could eat me if I die. Like All these people that are wealthy are going to go to Mars and people are going to mm-hmm. be like, all right, you're... I don't you're, think wealthy people well, are going to Mars. You're, an, you're now an iron miner, 
and you like you're not getting off there and like kicking back and hanging out in Mars. Like you got work to do when you get yeah. there. There's like a big, big job. So yeah, no eighty year old Mel's. Sorry, Mel. Maybe doctoring. Although you'll probably have forgotten a lot of doctoring at that point. Oh, I've forgotten it already. So yeah, I'll be completely. Robert, but Robert can go because he's go. practicing. Hey, what would, how would you handle somebody who is clinically sterile? Right, they had like testicular cancer. They can't procreate. Would they be able to go? So I mean, like. There's a lot of ethics that this is going to bring up. We could do about eight talking Teslas on this. On this. But it, at the end of the day, You're not going, the plan was amazing. <laughs> like, I thought the plan was interesting that he thought through a lot of this stuff. It requires a lot of launching. Would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. Yes. A lot and, of methane. And, and all, yeah. all <laughs> of that launching is going, like, uh, an order of footprint, an order of magnitude more <laughs> launching than we are currently doing or have ever done, and right. what is that going to mean? That's going to mean a That's lot, a of, lot of jobs. Like so, as we're getting off of this planet because it's melting, we're melting it even more by getting off of it. I'm it's sure he'll buy carbon offsets. I yeah. have no doubt. <laughs> He's going to do that. Elon owns buy. the Amazon. But so it's, it's a good... Uh... This doesn't. It's interesting because I grew up believing that we would be a multi-planetary species. I watched Star Trek. I watched Star Wars. That's such a part of my life. It's clearly such a part of his life and a lot of people who are into this stuff. And he's going to make it happen. And I'm excited, Tom. I'm excited I want to watch Star it Wars to be a documentary, not a movie. You know, I, I watched it. I paid, took seven pages of notes. I videotaped, I tweeted a bunch of pictures. It was so exciting. And afterwards, I was in the kitchen making a cup of tea. And I was thinking to myself, how much of a, like, I wish I could have done a clinical study. What would have been the the comparison of giving like 10 million people Prozac to lift their mood versus having 10 million people touched by this event, this one and a half hour event, thinking about, whoa, there's such an amazing future. Wow, I could get a job and try this. Maybe, you know, I dug coal out of the ground and I'm going to try something different. I want to move to Florida. You know, I don't know how many people are affected by this, but it made me feel really optimistic and really kind of hopeful. And before I'm thinking about the world freaking burning up and all of us basically being, you know, the, the earth is going to become sterile, sterile to us. There's no, there's zero chance, there's zero chance that Mars becomes more hospitable than Earth. In about a thousand years. You need to read the novel series Red Mars, Green Mars, Blue Mars by Kim Stanley Robinson, which is a fantastic series about how you would actually terraform Mars, and it's written sort of from a science point of view. Is it nonfiction? It's ba- it's a fiction nonfiction. It's one of those. Oh, fiction here's nonfiction. The, here's the science in a fictional story. Mm-hmm. But there's lots of people that say this is absolutely possible. Very difficult, but absolutely possible. What's it called, Mel? It's called. Uh, <laughs> start with Red Mars, Kim Stanley Robinson, and then there's Blue and Green. I and don't remember which order. <laughs> is the first step not nuking the polar ice caps of Mars? He just suggested that as a possibility. You don't have to do that <laughs> for people like you who are doubters. <laughs> How dare you come Although that would be a good use. That would be a good use of all of the the world's nuclear arsenal, right? Just yeah, put I it just up. want to put them in a huge rocket ship and explode them off the planet. And what happens when that rocket ship explodes? Um, there, most of them are already on huge rocket ships, ready to explode <laughs> off the planet. I don't know if don't you know that. That's the delivery system for a good portion of them. So I remember the movie. It's called John Carter of Mars. 
That's terrible. That <laughs> <laughs> almost bankrupted Disney. Oh my god. Yeah, but it was it was it showed life on Mars. You know, you could jump. It was it was a terrible movie. At the end of the day, does Elon want to go to Mars so he can dunk? Yes. Like is that what's really want to come That's down it. to how much money do I have to spend so I can dunk basketball? <laughs> I'll spend it all. Look, how is he going to do this? So I want to get to some of the science. So to get this cost down, you would have to do things like reusable rockets, which he's doing. You'd have to make propellant on Mars, which they say they can do because there's water and there's CO2, and then therefore they can make methane. Um, And then... You have to to choose the correct propellant. Yes. He talked about using all different propellants, but the best one is methane, right? Cow farts. We're going to Mars on cow farts. (laughs) And because there's water on Mars and tons of CO2 in the atmosphere, you can use this Sabatier reaction and create fuel on Mars. Because people were saying that I talked to, oh, it's one way only, you're going to death wish, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is you can come back. You just have to pay a return ticket. So it is a bit tricky because... We have to figure out how to improve the cost of trips to Mars by 5 million percent. This is not easy. And it sounds like virtually impossible, but I, I, think, I think there are ways to do it. This, this translates to an improvement of approximately four and a half orders of magnitude. These are the key elements that are needed in order to achieve the four and a half order of magnitude improvement. Most of the, the improvement would come from full reusability, somewhere between two and two and a half orders of magnitude. And then the other two orders of magnitude would come from refilling in orbit, uh, propellant production on Mars, and choosing the right propellant. So how many people ultimately, Tom just said, uh, he wants to get about a million people on Mars because he thinks that's the number where it could be self-sustaining. So that's 100 to 200 people per trip, multiple trips per year, 10,000 flights, 1,000 ships. And in 40 to 100 years, this could happen. 100 years from now, not going to be here. One million people on Mars in 100 years with maybe... I don't know, 400,000 people working their asses off to get them there. Mm-hmm. All kinds of resources, all sorts of, of greenhouse gases. Was well, the moon mission worthwhile, Tom? Yeah. Thank you. This is the same thing. No, guys. it's completely not guys. the same it's thing. Even that, is how is it, how that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. There was the no thing? plan to colonize the moon. The moon was like, there a, wasn't? We, let's do it to do it. There wasn't? That wasn't part of the main Apollo missions. They knew they couldn't sustain life on the moon. Don't. Don't even. Why? why <laughs> Don't even. Why are you so angry about I'm going to Mars? I'm not angry you, about... Oh, you are angry, young fella. <laughs> I, I am angry when I smell Again, it. I think it's a great plan. He thought a lot about it. Um, how about if he puts a little bit of brain power towards sequestering the CO2 currently <laughs> on this planet? Oh, like, think about you're that. You're about to diss Elon for not doing enough to try and save the world? What the hell is wrong with you? Let's remember. I figured that's what this show is about. He owns SpaceX, so he can do whatever the F he wants. How many people have turned their radios off now? (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on. All right? Upset. Oh, wait. What's the next story? Goodbye, world. We've passed the carbon tipping point for good. Oh, yeah. Good segue article, Mel. This is why I'm so angry. Because it's over. (laughs) (laughs) Tom is sad because we just wrecked the world. So well, this is like the outside, the outside saving grace, right? We may not ruin the planet. You know, we think so much of ourselves that we're going to, we've discovered and we can do and we can wreck. And maybe we can't really wreck it, but that asteroid that we haven't yet mapped that's out there and hurling towards us will take us out. Again, all of those things are great. And the 
at the end of the day, this is what I will say about the Earth and its eminent destruction. I'm talking to you, Earth. The Earth is going to be fine. We're just not going to be on it anymore. That's true. And maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. Wow, you are really that's, depressed. That is sad. I'm not. Oh, my Mr. God. What is Anderson, wrong with you guys? You're a virus. Oh, because we have such hubris as humans that we are going to be the species of the 50, 100 million years. We're going to be the species that continues on because we're, we need to be here. We're going to kill all the other species and make sure we stay on because we've done all the good things. See, Mel, this is why I told you it was a bad idea to have Tom miss that meeting on promoting the podcast <laughs> because he's just making everybody really depressed. <sighs> no. Uh, anyways. Totally save this cool. world. Let's I save thought, this world. I thought there was some Let's amazing talk stuff. About this. this is Goodbye World. Um, <laughs> goodbye we, World. We, we've passed the carbon tipping point for good. <laughs> we, we missed a couple of important points, though. All right, go back. I'll How we're going to fund this. I like he put oh, up yes, that okay. they were going to steal underpants. Did you see that? Tom what? didn't watch. No. I, I watched uh, uh, most of it. What part did I miss? The underpants stealing? He's talking in the in the early part about how we're going to fund this whole thing. And he says, uh, you know, steal underpants, launch satellites, Kickstarter, some profit. And then Elon said he's prepared to spend his money, like a lot of his money. He basically said to make this all happen. Of his money. Yeah. I'm prepared to spend all of the cash. It's going to be a lot of cash. This is not uh, $1 billion. This is not $10 million. This will be hundreds of billions of dollars. So yeah. go out and uh, order Model 3 because we're taking that puppy to Mars. I mean, it's pretty impressive the amount of time that he spent this uh, working this out and the fact that Sunday night before his presentation on Monday, they did the first live fire of the Raptor engine, basically the same size as a Falcon engine, but produces three times the thrust because they've got it all amped up and pumped up. It's got so much pressure in it. And so that thing, that's pretty amazing. And then they show 42 of them on the booster. of Tom's giving me this. That's a lot. Like, no, no, no. Like, it's a, it's, again, you, dude, it, you are smoking dope. Technologically like amazing. Theoretically, it's a genius plan. It really is. Don't get me wrong. Okay. Like, I think... It's amazing. It's an amazing idea. I'm glad someone's thinking about it because it gives us something to talk about. But realistically, seriously, save this planet. You sound like the first the, – the, I think it was the second guy in the Q&A who, who kind of looked at Elon and he says, Really, Elon? We can't handle our shit on Earth. There's not enough toilets for people. How are we going to go to Mars? What are we going to do with our shit? It always comes down to Don't shit. Be a hater, Tom. It comes down to shit. <laughs> oh my gosh! We have to move on because okay. you know uh, there's only so many hours in a Martian day. You know, on Mars, this could be a little bit longer because the Martian day is slightly longer. Let's move on and let's talk about the death of the planet. Here it is from Motherboard and uh, Rob. I think you put that in here. So lead us off on this. Yeah, the I world can't... is about to get uh, turned into Venus, so we better hop off and go to Mars soon. Yeah, it's a banner week for the end of the world because we've officially pushed the atmospheric carbon level past the dreaded 400 parts per million. Yay us. Good work, Americans and the world peoples. And there's a graph. The graph is a bit of a timeline going back like 500,000 years showing that we have gone so far off the scale as far as carbon is concerned that, you know, I started thinking after I saw this, I'm standing in my kitchen and I'm thinking, you know, I'm not a very big carbon footprint, solar on the roof, charge my car, 
you know, the meter's spinning backwards most of the time. And uh, I realized, well, how can I, can I get rid of my gas stove? I have a gas stove. Why the hell do I have a gas stove? I don't have an electric stove. It's easier to cook on gas. Why don't I have a electric water heater? Yes, go on. So I'm going to do some calculating in the near future. Creating methane out of your buttocks. That's true. I could do that, but then I would cease to exist. I would explode. So uh, it is very depressing. The way they do these um, CO two measurements is uh, in Hawaii's uh, Mauna. Lo- how do you pronounce it? Mauna Loa. Mauna, Mauna Loa Observatory. So it's right at the top there, and it is frightening because it used to be said that three fifty was the bad uh, number, and we blew past three fifty long time ago, and now we're blowing past four hundred. And it's you can get a readout of this thing. And it's almost like every day. 401, 402, 403. Uh, we're in serious trouble. Now, uh, it goes on and it talks about that, uh, you know, we've got these Paris agreements, which is uh, set to reduce carbon emissions uh, throughout the world, even though there's a lot of people here in the US that want to get out of the Paris Accord because right. they don't believe that any of this is true. Mm. Um, that this is going to result in by 2100, uh, at least 13 million people in the U.S. are projected to lose their homes due to rising sea levels. The oceans are going to acidify. The coal is going to die. And uh, basically the there's going to be die. mass migration. There's going to be wars over uh, food. And uh, the whole race is going to be extinct. And there's a lovely little movie coming out soon called... Um, Before the Flood. Before the Flood with Leonardo DiCaprio. It's a little documentary, which should be a good time. Yeah, watching the the coming attraction, it looks really good. And it it reminded me of this other one called Racing Extinction, which I saw about a year ago. They had the premiere. And uh, it, too, goes by the guy who did The Cove. He won an Academy Award for that. Kind of undercover, very spy-like, going to check out, you know, what's being done that's decimating sharks and manta rays and just decimating entire ecosystems that will collapse even if we don't even look at the carbon levels, just looking at what mankind is doing to its own planet, its own local systems. It's horrible. The concept of Spaceship Earth is very important here. There's this little blue thing that's flying around and it's a closed system and that's our closed system and if we screw up the closed system there's nowhere to go unless of course we could go to Mars but Tom's not going to let us go there because it's too expensive and it's a stupid idea. But if we're going to stay on this planet we have to fix it and then you start to read the next story, which is from The Atlantic, about how Obama could lose big on the climate crisis. Well, I have a little comment about that last thing. Yes, so, so 7 billion of us are going to stay on this planet. Yeah. Regardless mm-hmm. of what happens in Elon's plan. Sure. All right. Yeah, don't worry about those guys. Just worry. let's get the 1 million I off. I still don't you know, know your point because he's worried about those guys. He's, his whole life is about fixing the climate crisis personally as a billionaire. This is like putting money in your retirement account, Tom. He's putting people or wants to put people on Mars to put to have a backup plan, to have something for the future of mankind. So they can come back to Earth? Hey, the Mars colony could get hit by an asteroid, too, and wiped out. Earth could get hit by an asteroid, wiped out. But if you put humans on multiple planets with their knowledge base, you put all of the knowledge in, you know, on, you know, whatever media digital media, and you can then have humans survive under whatever circumstances. It may not be the best. You can't go to Yosemite when you're on Mars <laughs> and enjoy the I'm sure the there's majesty. a Mars Yosemite. 
But do you put climate deniers? Do you, let, do you let climate change deniers go to Mars? You know what? How I do want, you decide who I want goes somebody, up there? I want the president of the Flat Earth Society on the first rocket. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So he can see it as he's leaving. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, crap, it's round. I'd almost, pay for, <laughs> I'd, I'd almost pay for his ticket and a video to watch him. Oh, shit, I was wrong. Dude. Yeah, so this next article is just connected to that Paris agreement, right? Paris Climate Agreement got India on board, got China on board. This was a major effort by Obama who's making climate uh, change and the solutions his uh, one of his main points of his pre- presidency, and now uh, Obama has used the EPA and the Clean Air Act to push through the the needed elements to make us compliant with Paris. That is, getting coal-fired power plants offline and transitioning off of fossil fuels. But the whole thing is being challenged in court by something like 26 states, many of which mine coal and oil, as well as coal mining companies. And so now they're in a a uh, courtroom in Washington, D.C., and it's looking kind of tenuous. And whatever they decide, it's going to the Supreme Court anyway, but that's not going to be until a while from now. And whoever gets into the next White House has the control over the appointees to the Senate. And this is one of the reasons why all of this is up in the air. If we can't abide by Paris, then the worry is that others will drop out as well and just, you know, propel us even further into the black. Yeah, this is a there's a lot of legal stuff here, and we need to get one of our legal experts from one of our other podcasts to talk about this. But it's what you would like to do is have your Congress and your Senate pass these laws that really would push clean energy forward. But you can't do that. It just is not happening in the States right now. We're very divided. So another way to try and do it is through the EPA, which already has these powers. So you try and give them more powers to do that. The problem with that is, as you've said, the next president can come along and say, screw the EPA. There are even some of the candidates who want to get abolish it completely. And he's also had some sort of, uh, what are these called, when the president... Executive uh, orders. Executive orders, which are not going to hold up under a non-democratic president. They'll just take them away. So this is sort of a Obama's workaround, a Congress that doesn't work, but it is not a slam dunk. Even if they, if he gets a lot of this stuff done, it could all be reversed with the, the Supreme Court and with um, removing some of these powers that he's given the EPA. It is actually quite distressing. And I really, I have to ask myself again and again, do these people, do the people who really like, um, let's uh, say Donald Trump, for example, does he really believe this is not a problem? Does he really believe that we can just continue to burn coal and fossil fuels, that this is not an issue? Or is that just a way to keep people happy until you get elected and go, oh, shit, we better not do that for the next 20 years? I think there's multiple things, right? Like at some point, people just don't want to come to the realization that all of this terrible shit is happening, that 13 million American citizens where they live currently could be underwater in less than 20 or 30 years, like that's something that the scope of that is so gigantic. Are you saying it's like an inconvenient truth? It is an inconvenient <laughs> truth. So in this Atlantic article, there's a quote in here, right? And it's, I was reminded what frightens me most about climate change, which will, be, which will by itself cook forests, kill thousands of species, and alter the chemistry of the oceans. What frightens him most are the famines, mass migrations, and wars that can follow. So all of this denial that's happening, don't 
nobody's taking into account and really, really thinking about the human tragedy. If if there's a minor economic blips in small countries, the 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 migration from those countries to other countries causes like insane people to go crazy 10,000 people 100,000 people if you're talking about the mass migration in the, on the earth of 100 million people there is no society that can deal with that in any way shape or form and chaos will ensue and it's already happening i mean this is part of what tipped the middle east over was drought worst drought in something like 100 years there was a great article that came out, and I can't remember where right now, but I think we might have touched on it maybe 20 episodes ago. But it's it's really amazing. And one of the things that I, 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 I read this article, it's a long, heady article. I do recommend it if you've got some time. But there's a professor, a uh, mentor of Obama, who in this article comes out and says, you know, this is the biggest grab of power. It, it's It's completely unconstitutional, and he's got authority, and he's got credentials and he makes this incredibly strong statement and then i read in some further and then i found another article and then it details that he works for peabody energy he has used them i should say they have used him in their defense in many cases and so again i can't believe where the are these people's ethics preparing for this show yesterday and reading all these articles and diving deep into some of the links inside these articles and that might be why I'm so angry today, <laughs> you know, like because it doesn't look good for us no. and we're not taking it seriously. We're really not. There is the <sighs> there is the argument um, that people say, be careful what you hope for. So Obama is doing this stuff and it's questionable about uh, how much you can do through the EPA. And this is sort of skirting with the uh, usual processes and it might get knocked down by the Supreme Court. And just because you're happy about it right now because you want to fix the planet, what happens when the next president or somebody comes along and pushes their powers and says, instead of doing clean energy, let's just go invade a few countries? So there is this push and pull constantly, but what else is he supposed to do? What else is anybody in power that wants to fix this supposed to do? If they can't get it done via the normal route, what are you supposed to do? It's our fault. It's not our, at some point, it's not the leader's fault. It's our fault for wanting more. I'm guilty. We're all guilty. We want more. We, you know, 50% of the CO2 gases produced on this planet are produced, and I'm not a vegetarian, are produced making animal products for us to eat. So, like, you can talk about all the transportation changes that you want, and that's still going to be a huge part of it. Yes. Weekday vegetarian, Tom Wolfson. So we'd better sort of bring it up now. Let's let's get the mood up. Oh. Let's now talk about what we can do. Because in order to move forward, sometimes you have to go to the depths of despair, which is where we are right now. Yes. But now I see a light. <laughs> I see a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, at the end of the hyperloop. And let's talk about <laughs> Tesla, because Tesla is a company that is being built um, to help with part of this problem. The 20, 25% of uh, yeah. CO2 emissions, which comes from driving SL round. And so Tesla, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, according to moneyandcnn.com, sold 24,500 S's and X's last quarter, which is twice what it did last year. About 8,700 of those were Model X. So they're up, ramping up the Fremont factory. That's got to make you feel good. 70% increase over Q2 deliveries. A lot of those are S's. A lot of those are X's. So that's a beautiful thing. Stock is Today's up. Today's stock price is 
uh, $213, up $9, 4.41%. I just looked. That's very, very current. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, it'll, it'll be probably old. be 180 <laughs> So, sorry. That is just, it's just so a that's, sign that it's almost time to buy. Yeah, maybe. It's a, it's a good sign that they're actually ramping up production um, that they're, we need to sell lots and lots of these X's and S's before the Model 3 comes around. We could use that cash. It would be nice if the stock price went up so that they could cash some of that in and use some of the capital. I don't know. I mean, lately, I do not drive for like an hour, two hours in this area without seeing Teslas. I've been seeing a lot more X's, a ton more S's. They're, they're always, always out there. It's not the same in other cities, but in California, you know, we're doing... Our part, unfortunately, again, small blip. We got to get lots of them going. So buy your bolts, buy your Model Threes. Let's uh, let's get this going, and in, then in two more years, we'll be on the four hundred five and go. Oh, look, a Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully, I got it. To, you said you can't drive around for an hour. I can't drive around for three minutes in yeah. this area and not see like five S's. They are everywhere. Well, sometimes I drive with my eyes closed, so that might have something that's to do true. with it. That's true. Yeah, that's good. All right, let's talk about hot handles because uh, – Oh, please, <laughs> because after all of the things that we've just discussed, the earth-changing, we're-all-going-to-die situation, by all means, is, let's talk about your p- petite little is, fingertips. This is the Herbert solution to global warming. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love the energy in the room because the reason that uh, Elon hasn't sold a trillion S's is not because they're constrained. <laughs> it's not because they can't get a, their production up. That's, that's all bogus. It has nothing to do with the paint shop. Nothing to do with the paint shop, which we'll talk about. It has everything to do with the fact that I've reported on this multiple times. <laughs> That the chrome doors on the S will burn the flesh off your hands in the middle of summer. First world problems with Mel Herbert. And yeah. thankfully, there's somebody that's come out with these colored door handles and heat protecting decals. So you put these on your chrome and it reduces your flesh burning incidents. This, ladies and gentlemen, is going to move the needle this on is, the climate problem. And this is what I predicted, you know, a few months ago. Maybe yeah. they actually listen. To talking Tesla yeah. and have created this in our honor. And just want to point out without for sending sure, us any money. This is not a commercial for these products. We have no and idea we have about not them. actually tried them. So we have no idea if they work. But you have never seen a glint in a young man's eye <laughs> than you have seen when Mel started to talk about this. My fingertips will be saved. <laughs> I'm not tidy Tim. <laughs> I can't do your Australian accent very well, so I just went with that. So excited about the hot decal that I'm gonna have so, on my car. So the next product I predict will come out and we will receive no revenue from is the attachment to the door handles that allows you to poach an egg. That's a great idea. You could put a small thermonuclear device on those chrome things and uh, you could get all your energy from there. Because every you once in a while, egg. I'm driving down the street like, wouldn't a poached egg be lovely right about now? If only, if only there was a way I could poach an egg in my car. That would be fun. They just roll the window oh, down and right. you just poached egg, right? Maybe, maybe in a Korean restaurant, you know how you cook the meat on, uh-huh. the, on the center? You just yeah. go out to your Tesla and lay the meat over the door yeah. handles. 
I would only like to use the poached egg with my regenerative breaking, though, because I don't want to waste any additional energy. I don't want to get energy that I'm saving. So I'm going to attach a transformer directly to the regenerative breaking thing and have like like a toaster oven so I can have a little English muffin and then put an egg on top Mm. of it. So Tesla make a muffin. You're in your S or your X or your Model 3 and it's self-driving and you could open a Korean restaurant. <laughs> yeah, and you could drive from car to car on the freeway. I'm like, yeah, you want a poached egg with that? Right. You uh, take yeah. all the seats out, and you just put a couple of benches on the side. You yeah. enter through the back, and you just like you you sit around this communal table having kimchi, which will make your Tesla smell delicious. By the way, it will. It will. And it, of course, a fried egg is part of bibimbap, which is a staple right. in the rural parts of Korea, and I love it. One of my favorite things. Wow. I already feel better about the planet just because of the energy we're using from the chrome handle and the meat we're going to be eating. Yeah, no, I like good. vegetarian bibimbap. I put tofu instead of uh, the meat in there, so it's good. Oh, the egg great. is a little bit of a problem, but you know, you do what you got to do. Now let's talk about the Tesla paint shop. And this is from, wait for it, Electric! Electric! Electric has this story that... Um, it's actually a series of stories. Yes, Tom? But it's in response. It is in response to a prior story that said that... <laughs> that Robert had to blow his nose again without signaling it ahead of time. What is happening to this show? That said that uh, Tesla can't possibly make 500,000 cars because they currently have permits that will only allow them to paint 220,000 cars because when you paint a car, out come some of these gases. Vox. It, Vox. V-O-C. And uh, so they said they can't possibly make 500,000 cars. But this electric article says, well, if Tesla is going to get the permits, nothing to worry about here. And when they make a million cars, they'll get new permits and it'll all be fine. Don't worry about it. We can build a lot of cars. Uh, The ability to paint them is not going to be an issue. You know, what's the goal? To get one car out by the end of 2017. (laughs) So nothing to worry about, guys. No, but his his stated goal is 500,000 cars in 2018 and that's the point of this article on the daily kanban i don't know why it's called that i have it's no idea called, i looked these, it up these guys are I looked it up kind of haters why is it called the daily kanban? So kanban was a method in manufacturing of japanese cars that was revolutionary where they would use a card that delineated a part and it was on the line and they could use this card system to immediately reorder parts have parts delivered and maintain a fast-flowing uh, production line. Kanban. Okay. So these guys mostly talk about cars. They're in industry right. professionals, right? And they have put some anti-Tesla type stuff out in the past. This yes. article, to me, very detailed, lots of information. It's really more about whether or not, because of where the factory is, because it's in California, there's lots of more regulatory information that is involved. There's this permitting thing. So what this article states is that they can't get the permits in time. Not that they can't get the permits, but they can't get the permits in time to meet the 500,000 in 2018. Electric says that's not true. We don't know a lot of information. There's a lot of conclusions that are drawn from this. However, read both of them and decide for yourself where you fall in it. I, I don't have... An opinion, we're just giving the show the information out there. One group is saying this and another group is saying that. And I read further that Tesla has a second application in for a second paint shop. So they're going to build more. I mean, it's all about just building. But they're already building it. And that's the whole point of this article. They talk about the north-south paint shop in this article where as they ramp up one, they're not necessarily increasing total production. They're having – the new paint shop has better – 
emissions, right? But they're not able to ramp up the, they have to reduce the old one as they do the new one because of the permitting process. Again, this is what the article is saying. I read the whole thing. I found it to be very detailed if it's fraudulent, (laughs) right? Like this guy put a lot of work into something and everybody's kind of saying, "Eh, it's not true. There's a lot of assumptions being made. Do you get the feel he's short Tesla? You know, I, I don't like, I hope that that's not the case in what people are doing. Like, I want people to talk honestly because, again, 500,000 units is a big sort of milestone for Elon, right? This is a big thing that he's talked about for a long time. This is about moving the needle. So, of course, we want that to happen. And this guy's just saying that may not happen because of these very specific reasons. And I think it was worth discussing. And On the face of it, it seems weird, though, doesn't it? Like, you can't build... Uh, all of these clean energy cars because you can't get uh, a, a clean air emission certificate. It doesn't seem like that could ever happen. It's totally true, but we're talking about the Fremont factory, which is not out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, it happens right, to be in California. It happens to be in the middle of where a lot of people An live. Urban area. So they talk about it being like a very high impact zone as far as those types of emissions, right? right. So Tesla's, you, you know, they're, they're, this is automotive hey. paint, right? It has a lot of VOCs, and that's the sort of assumptions. We don't even know exactly what the VOCs for the Tesla paint are. Do you realize that they actually use this kind of regulation to shut down the wonder bread factory right the one that was up like in glendale mm, delicious that smelled a, delicious and you would drive by and it oh smelled so good but evidently the the uh ethanol ethers that were coming out of there were bad for your lungs it mostly smelled mm. like a lack of nutrition <laughs> lack of minerals and vitamins <laughs> i could do my joke about the, the wonder bread and the pope but i won't because I, every time i do i get in trouble <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please don't. So look, let's move look on. It up. Put and it on the paid version. <laughs> let's do a quick article, which is from USA Today, which uh, said the effect of the Model Three on gas demand. The Model Three is helping pushing EVs forward. Okay, got that. By 2035, um, the number of EVs on the road could reduce 300,000 barrels per day of US uh, energy demand, sounds which good. sounded really good. Really good, yeah. Until- and then I looked up how many barrels a day we use right now, which is 19.4 million barrels a day. So we need to get some more um, certificates because we're going to need some more Model 3s. We need millions and millions and millions of these cars developed. Right, so right which is why these companies need to stop making compliance cars or... They're going to need to start designing amphibious vehicles because, as we spoke about, we're going to be underwater very shortly, right? So, again, it's about the seriousness of these corporations. It's about the seriousness of us willing to buy these cars. And then the other half of that, and we're going to talk about this in a little while again, is it's going to be how are we producing the energy to charge them? Right. Are we still going to use natural gas? Are we still going to use oil? Are we still going to use coal? Are we going to open up some new nuclear plants? Like what what are we going to really do? And and again, like it takes a long time to build these things. And we're like we're this right. Long time to build, long time to build. Oh, the planet's flooding. Uh, right. You know, we're running out of time. And that's the reason they talk about it. We're running out of time because it takes a long time to build these plants, get them online, attach them to the grid, fix the grid. Wow, we're screwed. Right, 2035, the study that came out that said we've got to sell our last gas car by 2035 or we have no shot. So we need to build them very quickly. So how do you do that? Well, what you do is you start with a really expensive car and you sell it to people who uh, have got a lot of extra cash 
and then you build another expensive car called an X and you sell it to people with a lot of cash and that'll help fund the production of the Model 3 and Don't Model Y. Don't forget the Roadster. Roadster people out and there And the Roadster love, right at the beginning. Yes. You started all of this. You've got to do that, but you better not discount the car. So here's Elon. On the one hand, he's like, we're going to put a million people on Mars. We're going to terraform it. We're going to change the, all of human history as you know it. And on the other hand, the poor guy has to write an internal memo to people to say, stop discounting the car. And he goes on and says this. There can never, and I mean never, underline, be a discount on a new car coming out of the factory in pristine condition, Musk wrote. This is why I always pay full price when I buy a car. And the same applies to my friends, uh, celebrities, no matter how famous or influential. And he says this because it's bogus if somebody pays $100,000 for one of these pristine cars and then somehow somebody at uh, selling Tesla's like I'll give you 5000 bucks off I'll give you 10000 bucks off he's like no you can't do that this is the price of the car no haggling let's not be like the rest of the auto industry this is the price of the car Stop screwing around. Now, do you think the reason for this is that there is some sort of commission-based thing happening in the stores? Otherwise, why would the employees... So clearly this is happening, right? Because he wrote a memo, right? So, but what is the... Is the company have some weird backhanded incentive that's causing this to happen in some way? Now, he talks about only pristine conditions. If you want to discount a demo, which they do on their website, that's a different story. Uh, maybe those hideous brown ones people want to discount. Sorry if you bought a brown one. I don't like it. I, like uh, I don't like. I don't like it. But this is an interesting thing. And the there's the quote. The Elon quote for this episode is buried inside this letter to Tesla employees, and it is: "We either win in a way that is fair and right, or we lose with our honor intact and accept the consequences." So, like that's that's a very a powerful. Picture quote yeah. coming from a guy and again that's you know i'm not an elon hater like it may seem like i'm an elon hater about the mars thing but i definitely appreciate the way he's trying to run his business and do his stuff i feel the same i think it's great so now let's talk about autonomous driving five things that give self-driving cars headaches what are those five things whose article is this i put it in from the new york times tell this us the five things that give Autonomous vehicles, a hard time. Well, the same things that give us hard time, right? Reckless drivers. When you've got somebody who's just turning in front of you without any warning, they're making a left turn, you're driving down the road. Hmm. Kind of reminds me of What's that like? someone else in this room <laughs> might have had that experience too. Said took out, death. took out a freaking EV. There should be like treble damages for that. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that idea Not a lot. Not only did you drive badly, you made a perfectly fine EV. Right. have to go to the script. You guys yeah. want an update? Yeah, what's the update? I think what I'm doing right now yeah. is yeah. waiting to see when the Bolt comes out. I might buy the Bolt. Well, bottom my testicles because it doesn't, call me To me, Lucinda. it doesn't make sense to buy. I, like, it's only a couple of months from now. Bolt? Did he say Bolt? It's only a couple of yeah. months from now. And the reason is because, you know, Ben, I have some art interviews, some audio you're going to hear about a guy who bought the i3 with rack, and the i3 only has 87 miles. And he had a hell of a time driving it a couple hundred miles up the coast. But he found a lot of CCS chargers, um, and we're going to talk about those. And so it could be very possible that the Bolt could be the good short-term car or even the good long-term car. So we'll see. And I just want to make sure that, like, it's going to come out a couple of years before the first Model 3. So I want to see what it's like, and then I'll decide that or the Leaf, and then we'll move on. It's like either that or the Leaf and wait for the Model 3, 
or that and then wait for the Model 3 and sell it. I think we got to give the Bolt a shot is what I'm saying. So I'm, uh, I also have an interview that will be uh, you clipping in in just a moment because I'm talking to some people who are in exactly the same position as you. They really want a Tesla, but the Tesla is too much. They've got a very long commute, and there's only one electric car that can get that done right now, and that's the S on the X, so Tesla. But the Bolt, I was saying the same thing. You know, the Bolt might be the one that could get you going until the Model 3. Let's go back. And one of the other things you told us what uh, upsets uh, autonomous vehicles is reckless drivers. What are the other things? Bad weather. Bad weather like snow on the road that obscures the lines or water that's causing reflection as you're driving into the sunset. Digital mapping. That's a problem as well. And they talk about it's not just... 3D, uh, not just 2D maps like you would get from satellites, but you need the complex three-dimensional maps, which everybody's doing on their own. A complete like waste of energy, right? Why aren't we just, why? This is where the government comes in. That's a little side point for me. This is where like NASA or the government comes in, where they go and they uh, are funded by everybody puts money in. One person makes this incredibly accurate map and we don't have to do like, three, four times over with all the different car companies doing it themselves. And the last thing are, uh, the one thing that really bugs me the most, potholes. Potholes look like uh, they, they, you want to avoid them in your car. You want to swerve around them or you want to stop before you hit one and slow down. But potholes are a big problem for autonomous cars because they look like uh, they, they can be faked. They can be faked by uh, some kind of a shadow, like a street uh, light shadow on the road. All of a sudden, you have a dark circle or puddles, and so they cause uh, uh, the car to do weird things that you really wish they didn't do. And like when I was a kid, like Bugs Bunny would draw potholes like on the ground, and they weren't real. He could move them around and stuff and he like could, that. And he could jump through them and come out in another. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hate those for sure. So Bugs Bunny's in but trouble. the but one interesting thing about this article, and it's from the New York Times. Is the we talked about this in the past the whose life do I save question with autonomous cars like you're right. driving down the street the little kid runs out of the way and the one interesting puppies puppies, puppies. the one interesting point about this is don't think of it as the car deciding who lives and who dies but a programmer somewhere in his or her sweatpants programming that decision into the car yes hit one puppy but not two puppies. <laughs> It's the two-puppy scenario. Listen, it's not going to be like, we're not going to have so many of these problems. I don't understand why people continually harp on this whole ethical thing. You're going to get in an autonomous car, and it is not going to drive like me. It's not going to do 85 on the freeway. It's going to go at a very controlled rate all over the place. And once these cars have their interconnectability, so this is another thing I was kind of hallucinating about as I was falling asleep one night. And that is, how do you know what in the beginning, right? You have, I don't know, right now we have like a, a one billionth of a percent electric cars on the road. And how many cars are going to be autonomous? I mean, like fully level four autonomous when the level four autonomy begins, it's going to be like an umpteenth percent of all cars. How are they going to know where all cars are? They're not. It's going to be camera and radar based, and it's going to be open to a lot of accidents that people are going to say, oh, no, autonomous cars, they're dangerous. So what the what the states need to do, or maybe the feds, again, central government, should get together and come up with a technology so that every license plate that's made and put on the front and the back of a car has like an RFID, a radio frequency transmitter or reflector, such that 
autonomous cars in that region will know where every other moving vehicle is. I mean, these solutions, I can't believe it. I can see the small government people going, oh, my God, what do you think? They're tracking you anyway, so may as well do it for a good cause. Yeah. And it's not going to be perfect technology, but and it's not going to get rid of all death of traffic accidents, right? It's going to reduce it. So we're going to live with some of these, uh, the puppy or me decisions that the cars are going to make, and that's just the reality of the situation. So um, along that sort of autonomous driving vehicle thing, there's a thing here from the New York Times that says there's a California rule that is being amended that will allow driverless cars to not have somebody behind uh, the steering wheel. So they're, they're sort of developing these guidelines uh, about autonomous vehicles because this is happening very quickly. And one of these ones came out and said, well, we'll let their one day have autonomous vehicles, but they'll always have to be a human. California has amended that and said once it's good enough, you won't have to have a human. We're going to be okay with it. And this was the DMV. You know you know how fast the DMV usually rolls? Uh, not quickly. Not quickly. And so feds came out with their new guidelines a week ago. DMV this Friday, or, or it was over the weekend, came out with this new regu- amended regulation that says they would allow a car without a steering wheel or a brake pedal. Because Google was like, hang on a second. But they also slapped Tesla. And they said they prohibit the advertising of vehicles with lower level of autonomy, like Tesla Motors Autopilot. They don't want false advertising. And so both, uh, you know, so um, they can't use certain words. Right. And Mercedes, too. They had to pull back uh, a a um, advertisement recently that said, oh, our cars can drive themselves. But it really wasn't level four autonomy. I saw a Kia commercial yesterday about keeping it inside the lines. The guy got distracted and that he thought it was LeBron James. This is something that could probably happen to you, Mel. <laughs> like driving down the road and his car drifted and the, the, the Kia like drifted him back because it saw the line. So that's very similar type of technology. Yeah, this uh, advertising and the even the name of autopilot is concerning. In fact, uh, again, in one of my interviews, I have uh, these very smart people who said, well, can I text with the autopilot? Is that uh, legal? Again, sort of because people in the news hear, well, this car drives itself, so now I'm, it's not level four. But you've got to be really careful with this advertising. So let's move on. Let's talk about superchargers. Who wants to talk about superchargers? Oh, I want to talk about supercharging because, again, as after I did the interview with Ben and I was curious how many of those combo chargers exist. Obviously, we're in California, so there's a lot of them. That NRG Go is the big procure of the sort of public ones that you it's a pay-as-you-go model but i wanted to know how many there were total so as of right now on tesla's website they have 713 locations worldwide i physically counted the ones that were listed in the states at 303 and an average of six per location six uh cords six yeah six plugs at each location and a lot of the ones around here have more and a lot of you know most of them i haven't seen any that are really less than six and most of them have more. So that, there that's are, an, there it, are two. That's an interesting thing. And as far as the SSA SAE combo chargers, there's 821 with 1,221 outlets. So most of those locations are single chargers. That's a long-term potential issue because you don't want to show up two or th- even if two cars show up, that's a problem. Even with fast charging, just shows how discoordinated they are. Right, and the Chatamo is the same thing. There's a thousand of thousand eighty eight of those stations with fifteen hundred charging out. So most of those are less than two per per station on the average. Ma- the majority and, are in a dealership that locks up at night. And Tesla has three hundred and six stations, so a lot less stations, but two thousand charging outlets in those stations. 
Open twenty four seven. And these are all just the public ones, right? The, so this uh, this afdc.energy.gov location, you can you can do a drop down menu and you can put in any kinds of chargers that you want. The old legacy chargers, the J one seven seven two, public, private. You can break it down and get the numbers for all of it. So these are just the public and the level two chargers. And this made me feel pretty good. There's eleven thousand. 519 level two stations and 26,000 outlets for those. So there's a charging infrastructure is being built. What impresses me absolutely the most is that you, Tom, counted 26,923 level two chargers. My God. I did. I went one by one on the map. That's very exciting. Can I ask you this question? It's going to be the ignorance of this is going to be profound. Oh, great. You're Tim Cook. And you're uh, I'm not Tim Cook. the head of uh, the most profitable con- uh, company in human history. I want to be Tim Cook now. He has $200 billion in the bank Ooh. sitting there. Sitting. He seems like a, the kind of guy that really uh, cares about the planet, wants yeah. to do good things. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he just go over to the bank and go, uh, look, I want to take a billion dollars out and I want to uh, buff up the uh, charging infrastructure for the United States. A billion dollars would get a lot of extra charges and they could do it. Wouldn't affect anything. Nobody would even notice it's gone. And then um, have another billion to uh, upkeep it and uh, make sure it's all still working. Somebody as powerful as Apple could move the needle on some of these things enormously. Why don't they? If Mm. I had $200 billion in the bank, I'd be spending some billions to help the planet. It's a little thing we like to refer to in the stock game as fiduciary duty. Mm. What's in it for them? Do the right thing. Yeah, stockholders, that's not a thing. Unfortunately, I I love your thought process behind that, but there has to be a reason. Now, that's not to say that Apple couldn't make each of these like a kiosk where you could also buy a lightning cable or a new pair of headphones or something like that. Or charge your phone or charge your phone or whatever, you know, like an advertising. Like they could use it as something for the company, but then, you know, what standard do they use? And then they download all of your contacts and your browsing information and sell it across the internet. I'm just saying. So let's say Apple decides to do that, right? And they're like, all right, we're going to put DC fast charging in 10,000 locations with our billion dollars that we found under the, the couch cushion. What standard do you want them to use, Robert? I want them to use all three. Mel? Yeah, I want to. I just want adapters. I don't really care what standard. I want it to be fast, and then give me an adapter. So you want them to make it so Teslas can plug into SAE it. SAE combo charging your Tesla at fifty kilowatt is going to be kind of slow. Although not everybody needs to charge for an entire long trip. They're just going from you know, oh, I charged up two days ago, and now I'm getting my groceries, and I need a little bit more so I can do the rest of my errands. Right. We're talking about the people like the the thing that makes the most sense for this, right? We're talking about people who live in cities who can't mm-hmm. necessarily live in apartments, can't necessarily get a charger for their place, or that that part of it becomes difficult. And you need to even if you only need to charge once or twice a week, and you live in a high rise building where your landlord or whatever the co op won't let you put a plug in. Where do so you charge? How many many miles per minute is a reasonable rate to charge if you are a city dweller. Now, this was kind of like the talk I had with Rajit God from UCLA. He was saying, oh, you don't want to be able to charge at 300 kilowatts because that's going to be really hard on the battery. But if I'm traveling to Seattle, I'd rather stop for 10 minutes at a supercharger and not 40 minutes at a supercharger. So along the highways, we should have higher rate chargers but in the cities we need to have a lower rate but how low i don't know i thought i saw an interesting thing at spacex which i went to and visited 
because I wanted more of a high of all of the great things that are going on. We can talk about that later. But they had like 32 chargers in their parking complex, level one. They had a J1772 plug with level one charging. That's 120 volt chargers. And that makes absolute sense. When you go to work, how many hours are you there? Well, if you're at SpaceX, you're there Two, for three hours, 26 mostly for me. hours a day. Yeah. For you? Yeah, just kidding. Yeah, yeah, Tim Cook. <laughs> and so if you're going to SpaceX and you're going to work, you're going to be working a long shift. I yeah. don't know, 10 hours, 10 12 hours, hours 14 10, hours. You yeah, know, you figure, right? You go to the hospital, you're going to work. Most everybody works a 12-hour shift. And so each employer should take it upon themselves to provide a charger that works for their employees. And if all you need is a 110-volt plug, what the hell? I mean, how much is that going to cost? And how? But how much are you going to get out of that in a 10-hour shift, 20 like 30 miles? Between 3 and 5 miles per hour. Depends on right. what kind of, you know, if you do a level 1 20-amp circuit, that's about 5 miles per hour. How is that bad? In 10 hours, not bad that's 50 miles. Yeah. And Unless it you live in canyon country and are driving 80 miles. Again, these are minor things, but it sure. gets you enough to go back and forth. And I, and I think it makes sense. It's like we have to have smart decisions mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. charging. It doesn't always have to be fast charging, but it would be nice in that particular situation. So let's say you're going to build 20 level ones, mm-hmm. build 15 level ones, and build five you know, DC fast charging for people who are coming a long distance, but maybe they just have to drop something off and then they want to turn around right. and do something like that. Like make it so it makes sense, right? Sure. Sometimes you go to the gas station to get a gallon of gas. Right. Sometimes you go to fill up. Right. Let's uh, keep this moving because it turns out that this is the longest talking Tesla in human history. How's that even that possible? Every week. Let's move on and talk about, there's a couple of articles that I had in there that I don't think they're that important, but I do believe that Robert's little visit to the Hyperloop is something that is uh, exciting. So tell us about your little trip. You went to uh, SpaceX and you looked at Hyperloop. Tell us about it, Robert. I've been planning this for a little while. I sent out a little tweet that showed the my my imagination when I read about the Hyperloop test track, right? It's a scale test track. It should be able to hold one person in a pod. And so I figured, you know, where could that be? It must be in this parking lot that sits alongside Jack Northrop Avenue, which is uh, right alongside SpaceX. And there's a big railroad track right away there. I figured they had to put it kind of over there. But what I discovered was they actually put it right on the street. I was impressed that they got away with this, that they got the city to allow it. But I've got a bunch of pictures that we'll put on the website, and it's really impressive. It's got, it's a tube, and the tube is damn near a mile long. And it's got ports in it for like vacuum pumps, and it's got an end where somebody already tried to rip off the cover so you could look inside, and I took pictures inside. It's pretty cool inside. And so, spiky. I wanted to see it. And so I took a time lapse driving down the whole length of it. We went and saw it the other night, and, and it's really exciting. It's really happening. Uh, it's, they're still working on it. They're bolting it down. They've got these big concrete blocks that will hold it in place. And, um, yeah, I think that was really cool. Did you see the rocket? Is the rocket standing up there too? Oh my, is the rocket there? The rocket is in its full glory. They've polished it up. The engines at the bottom of the rocket are all shiny and nice. The Falcon engines and the, uh, the legs, you can see the legs, Robert's legs, all uh, deployed and and looking nice and shiny. They've got it on a a beautiful pad that's been flattened out at the corner of the street with glass wall around it. And I thought, when is the Tesla Museum going to open? I should say, SpaceX Tesla Solar City Museum 
Elon Everything <laughs> Museum. The Solar City Museum. That'd be exciting. Look at that transformer. That is beautiful. <laughs> so there's an article, uh, xprize.energy.com, and they have offered a $20 million prize for making CO2 into things. Mm, yes. Whatever those things might be. Like they don't sucking care. CO2 out of the air and turning yeah, it into Yeah, turning stuff. into like a shoe, turning it into concrete, like sequestering it. This is what we talked about earlier. Now, I think Robert put this up here. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure, but it looked like it was a exciting. Robert thing. And it is exciting. What if um, the shoe doesn't fit? And so by 2050, <laughs> in, in, this, in this thing, it says by 2050, we aim to reduce our carbon emissions by 90%. And I wrote, too bad we'll have a major extinction event by then. Oh, but it'll be all right because depressing. some of us will be on Mars. Yeah, no. that's good. But let's be real. NRG, they do create a lot of electric electricity from the sun. So I give them that. They, but at the same time. They do and they don't. They also own a bunch of freaking coal-fired power plants. Right. In which they have to get rid of the CO2 to meet the Paris climate uh, agreement. Right. So this this thing that like is kind of a weird dichotomy, right? Because it's like you wrote that has a very green feel to it. And it does. I mean, obviously, this is. Somebody that needs to start – we need to start thinking about sequestering carbon, and maybe that would be a solution. If we could start to do some real serious scrubbing, then maybe we can sort of turn this around. Uh, energy, however, may not be the best voice for this, in my opinion. So they have 140 power-generating plants, 17 coal, 28 oil, 1 nuclear, 39 natural gas, and 31 solar and wind. And you're like, ooh, 31 solar and wind plants. That's pretty exciting. And all of those combined make 1,252 megawatts of energy as opposed to the 43,000 megawatts of energy being made by their other things. Oh, so that they are also the owners of those NRG Go super fast charging things that you hear about in the Ben interview um, driving up. So they're part of that. They're making these DC fast chargers because, well, they make electricity that they're trying to sell. Tell me about the carbon sequestration. So they're How having a they prize. What's they're, going they're, on? they're saying like anybody out there, there's this prize. It's like the X prize, right? It's the X prize thing about carbon sequestration and energy is, is sponsoring this particular one. So they're like, make us products, figure out, put CO2 in concrete, put CO2 in whatever the hell you've got, mm -hmm. something, some sort of product, some sort of item that we can make a shoe. One of the things on the video is like make a shoe completely out of carbon and that way that shoe will sequester that carbon and get it out of the atmosphere so it won't be free because where all this car where was all this carbon stored in the past? Plants. In fossil fuels and in plants. So we're cutting down trees so Let's make shoes out of that. So stuff. what you're saying is that we could suck the carbon out of the air, turn it into a sort of an oily-like liquid, and shove it into the ground. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Yeah, we put oil back in the ground. Wow, what a thought. And then we could compress it really a lot with a lot of pressure over time and uh -huh. turn it into sort of a dark or brown sort of rock-like thing and shove it back into the ground? Yeah. Yeah, like coal. That's a great idea, Mel. It's a fantastic idea. But so they're offering this $20 million. And yes, I understand it was all over the place. And my whole point was like they're offering $20 million, trying to come up, have other people come up with ideas to scrub the carbon from their dirty power plants. And meanwhile, uh, when you plug into one of their plugs, only 3% of the power you're putting in your car comes from from 
renewables. Did you do the math? So I just did. did yes. Nice. Good That's job. upsetting. All right. Let's do letters, uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Let's start with uh, Paul B. Paul B. says uh, U.S. Tidal Power. For your information, you don't have to go to Scotland to see uh, Tidal Power. Do it in Scottish. Come on. Oh, look, it says you don't have to go to Scotland <laughs> to find Tidal Power. <laughs> you can go to the University of Maine where they'll be doing research on this for years. It's just the best. <laughs> You're the best. And it's going to be up to five megawatts. So there you go. Thank you very much, Paul B. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well Doug Ingram says, Robert, you had me worried about losing the name of my uh, Tesla when I upgraded to the 8.0 software. Well, he found it. Did you find yours? You scared Tesla Nation, Robert. I'm sorry, everybody. It is a first world problem. It is no longer on the dash on the screen just above your steering wheel column. It is still in the software, but you don't get to stare at it every morning as you fire up your Tesla. I've got to say, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I got the 8.0 software upgrade on my S over a week ago. The X, which has the radars, which could really use this upgrade, which could make my car less likely to bash into people, still doesn't have it. Elon, I'm sorry. Those doors are great. <laughs> they're, they're still working. They're tweaking the autopilot for you, Mel. Just a little they more. They figured they needed to update the, the software for the uh, oh, Falcon Wing doors so, for you, Mel. So funny. Aaron Schneider. <laughs> I um, like this one. Whose subject is shit ton. Uh, let's go over that again. So you've got, a, you've got your metric ton. Uh-huh. Uh, you've got your US ton. Yeah. And you've got your shit ton. Thank you. Gentlemen, I really enjoyed the last two episodes. Uh, suggesting that he did not enjoy <laughs> any of the others. <laughs> 52 down the tubes for poor Aaron Schneider. They have been more informative and entertaining, suggesting that the prior ones were neither informative nor entertaining. <laughs> I hear that a lot, by the way. Um, so he wanted to pass on some stuff to us, but basically uh, said, secondly, there should be a, should the occasion arrive where I can finally buy a Tesla, more likely buy the S than the X because of the effing Falcon Wind doors, you should consider uh, posting your Tesla code. And we've done that a number of times, Aaron. And so far, we have had nobody to give us uh, some love. Yeah, we'll, we'll continue to post it. Robert tried to slip his in here, too, I noticed. Robert's always trying to slip his code in. Oh, I'm trying to do the, the same show. thing. We're yeah. well, this way, for codes. This way, maybe we'll get invited to a Tesla event at some point. I'm the only one I'm not trying to slip my code into any So people. for people that don't know, if you uh, go out and buy a Tesla and use a code that was given to somebody who already owns a Tesla, that person can get a little bit of money off the top. Or invited to stuff or where there's gin and tonics and sliders. And I've got a couple of people into Teslas in the last couple of years and uh, not one code, not <laughs> one discount. Of yeah, actually, this weekend I got a text from a, a buddy of mine who works in emergency medicine, works with me on occasion, though not that much anymore, and he sends me this picture, and it's a beautiful new S. And it says, had to pull the trigger and join the club. Did the two-year lease until the three arrives. Did he use my fucking code? <laughs> Sorry, Mel, put, Mel put Solar City on his roof without using my Solar City reference code also. It's upsetting. It is. <laughs> and actually, I put Solar on one place, and then I put it on another, and I forgot to use my own code for myself. <laughs> I think you can do that. I think, so I think we, we understand right the, the economics behind these codes, right? No one can use them. <laughs> They're just out there as a marketing tool. Unless you're a YouTube giant and then you can get like 20 cars because yeah, your listeners be cool. love you more than our listeners love us. Um, we'll put our codes out there. Chad Oliveri uh, said, you know, you talked about New Zealand 
And uh, Steve West, this guy in New Zealand, is trying to push EVs in that country. The first Tesla S moaner in in, uh, New Zealand. So I actually have an email into uh, these people in New Zealand who are basically, it sounds like a private group is trying to put DC charging throughout New Zealand. I have an email into chargers. (laughs) Oh, that's a mean-spirited. It's a very big country. It, people say, oh, it's a small island. New Zealand is not a small island. No. Tasmania is It just looks is a small, small next to Australia because it's, it's a continent-sized island. Anyway, uh, we're going to be doing, getting an interviewing with him next week. Nice. Dwight Shum Shum. 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 You had it right. Uh, he says, hi, guys. Thanks for the discussion on renewable energy in episode 53. I was inspired by a call for business to commit to zero uh, energy carbon. Thank you. I'm a managing principal of a small consulting engineer firm here in Iowa. So I'm actually going to do an interview with Dwight about how their company is trying to push their employees to get to zero carbon. And I'm actually doing a thing called Going Zero. It's actually going to be a series within Talking Tesla, a little tiny series about how I'm trying to move everybody in my corporation to go to zero. And we'll have people like Dwight and other people and do some interviews and just about the people and the whys and the wheres and the hows, and can you get this done? My, my, so my friend Paul listened to the last episode where you talked about this, and he called me over the weekend, and you know what he said to me? He said, looks like Mel's buying you a Tesla. <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't think that's what's happening. No, no, no. But this is actually what inspired me to think about the stove, because after I read this this letter, I this is amazing. This is wonderful. And so I went into the kitchen and I started to make some food and I was like, what the f*** am I burning natural gas for? And that led to a story that I'm going to do next week about the downside that you don't realize about natural gas and that it's being piped to your house through millions of miles of leaking pipes in every major city. Interesting. So that I look forward to that because people ask me all the time, electric dun, dun, dun. versus gas. <gasps> that is a good teaser. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that's all the time we've got for the main show. But we've got a really good interview about driving long distances in I3 that Tom did with a friend of ours called Ben. It's really interesting. I have got an interview with Jess and Dave who are seriously thinking about getting an electric car and uh, trying to decide whether to pull the trigger on a second-hand model S or a Bolt or really saving up the pennies and getting a new S. Lots of interesting information for those of you that are out there thinking about electric cars but haven't got them yet. My name is Mel Herbert. That's Tom. That's Robert. This was an extraordinarily long talking Tesla. It wasn't. Oh, it was hopeless. By the time we're done with the interviews, (laughs) it's going to be 12 hours. It is the first long-distance BMW i3 interview you will hear, though. Somebody who drove it long distance. I I think it's actually very good. And for those of you that are on Patreon and giving some cash every month, thank you very much. And if you haven't, go to TalkingTesla.net and just think about about how much uh, one glass of Chardonnay costs. Think about how much one Starbucks coffee costs. And ask yourself, is this show so bad that it's not worth one of those per month? Wait, wait, wait. Don't ask yourself. No, don't Don't ask ask, yourself. Don't ask that question. Just give us some cash. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, as promised, we're going to do a little interview here. And this is uh, Ben Bonner, who works with Tom, got himself a brand new i3, traded in an old BMW gas guzzler for this BMW i3, has a girlfriend that goes to college up the coast, and he decided to drive from LA up the coast in his BMW i3 and try and not use any gas. How does it go? Let's hear Hi, everybody in Talking Tesla Nation. I'm here with Ben Bonner, and he is the proud owner of a BMW i3. So, Ben, you were not an electric car enthusiast. 
No, not at all, actually. You were a very loud gas car enthusiast. You had a, another BMW. What what BMW did you have before the i3? I had a 1987 325i. Okay, so and how long have you had the i3? Uh, I just recently got it. I've now had it for uh, like a month and a week. Okay, and uh, you have the one with range extension or not with range yeah, extension? Yeah, I have, I have the Rex, so that's 73 miles on the battery and then 150 grand total. All right, so six weeks into it, one long road trip, which we're going to get into. What do you think? I love it to drive around the city. It's really fun as long as you have a charger that you can connect to consistently, but taking on a road trip is not the greatest thing. As long as you're prepared, it's fine, but... It's more difficult than just driving up the coast, for sure. You used to drive your other BMW up to San Luis Obispo, up the same road trip, correct? Yeah, that sucked, too. <laughs> so you have, so they both suck, but let's get into it a little bit. You started in Woodland Hills. Your ultimate destination was San Luis Obispo, but you had to make a stop in Glendale, which is the opposite direction. We'll get into it, but I stopped three times going up and going to Glendale to go pick up my girlfriend, and then back the whole opposite way was definitely what made me have to stop three times instead of two. All right. I'm in my BMW i3 Rex, the extended version, 2016. I have 74 miles in charge, which is about the maximum you can get on this car. And I have 57 miles in gas given to me by the dealership. I'm about to take a road trip to slow and come back on Tuesday. So we're going to try and not spend any money in gas. Let the... Uh, let the journey begin. Okay, so for the record, to go from Woodland Hills to Glendale is about 30 miles, about 50K. To get from Glendale up the coast, up the 101, beautiful coast, up to San Luis Obispo is about 190 miles, so about 300 kilometers. And that's what he's going to be referencing. Another thing that Ben's going to do here is screw up uh, the difference between percentage on his um, odometer and miles. So he's always talking about miles when he says percent range left. So you went from Woodland Hills, you got to Glendale, you still had 50 miles of range, 74, so it took you about 24 miles to get to Glendale, but you didn't charge when you got there. No, I got to Glendale, and we went and got some Jamba Juice, and then uh, packed the car full of bags, and then left. So you left Glendale, now you got a car, you added a whole bunch of weight to the car. I'm not talking about your girlfriend, so like, <laughs> let's not get her all pissed off at me. Hey, hey. <laughs> I'm talking about her stuff, because she was moving her some stuff up to San Luis Obispo. Then you got to your first charging destination around four, and where was that first charge? Uh, that first charge was in Ventura. So there's three quick charges in Ventura, they're all in a line up the 101. And we were deciding whether or not to stop at the second one and the third one, and we ended up hitting traffic. So we got to the third one because we were able to regenerate, I guess. This 101 freeway, you took the 101 for the entire way. You know, that, that freeway is very hit or miss as far as how fast it's going. There's definitely pockets. So there's sometimes where we were driving, I would catch myself going 70, and I was trying not to. I was trying to stay around 65 the whole time. But there was also parts where we were going 10 to 20 miles an hour. So you got there, and you only had nine miles of charge left on your car, and it will charge up to, like, 75 miles. And in 30 minutes, you got up to 67 miles of charge? Yeah. We got there, and we spent some time trying to figure it out. You had to be a member of that charge point, and I, myself, am not. So we had to call the number on the side of the machine, and then from there, they run you through, like, what's your credit card number and all this. Uh, and it's $10. Well, it's nine ninety five for 30 minutes of charge. 
And you can either call and get another 30 minutes, which you don't need if you're at 67%. Right. Um, or 67 you can, miles, not 67, 67%. Yeah. All right. So you got your 37 minutes of charge. You got 67 miles. So let me... So let me break in here and do the math because I'm sure a lot of you are doing that. So he got 67-ish miles for 10 bucks. That is a ripoff because uh, you can go get gas in your car in California right now. It's $2.50 a gallon. And let's say you could get 30 miles to the gallon. Then you're talking uh, two gallons of gas, which would be 5 bucks. So they're way overcharging for the use of that fast DC charger of uh, gas and you head on out and your next stop is at Golita. So Golita is a little city just above Santa Barbara. It's about 40 miles. So what is that? About 60k north of where they were charging in Ventura. All right. So we've made our second charging stop in Golita. Uh, We got here with about, I'd say 12 battery, 12% battery. And we, uh, Charged to 76 miles with a fast charger. Driven 129 or 27 miles altogether. Uh, we still have the same amount of gasoline, and it is 7.18. So your second stop was at Golita, and you had 12% of battery. Very, very helpful. You're going all over the place. That was nine 12, miles. That 12%. was 12 miles. We had it was 12, 12 miles. miles? Yes. Okay. It's all always right. miles. Anytime I say percent, I mean miles. And I'm, I'm sorry, Tesla Nation. <laughs> Because I'm new to this, but all right, no, that's fine. So you got 12 miles, and you charge for the half hour, same half hour. No, actually, that was, uh, I believe, that was a full charge. That was a totally different company. It was through an app. Okay. Uh, and we signed up for the app, and to this day, I have not gotten a charge on my credit card for some reason. Right, because it's supposed to be free, and we're going to talk about that, Ben. All of this charging that you paid 9.95 for was supposed to be free when you lease a BMW. Two years of free charging. Yeah, they didn't tell me that. Yeah, well, I wonder why. Because they don't give a crap. Dealers of electric cars are like, I don't know anything about this thing. Please buy it and get it the hell out of here. They really don't. They were, (laughs) And they seemed like they were bummed to get rid of them. Because it was such a deal, they were like, we're not making any money. Yeah, exactly. All right, so you're fully charged. It's now 718 at night, though. Yeah. That's late. Like, you left a long time ago. you got to be getting tired at this point. And so how are you feeling right now? This is only your second charge in Goleta. You haven't used any gas, but you've had to charge for about an hour. You're not driving as fast as you ordinarily would. Are you just, like, are you hating life at this point? Are you regretting your decision to drive it up the coast? We we had music, which my old car doesn't have, and we had AC. So right off the jump, it was a lot better. It was in between this point and the next point where it started to get a little, well, the best way to describe it is me and my girlfriend kept looking at each other and being like, what time is it? What? How long has this took? <laughs> because it wasn't so much the discomfort. There was no discomfort. It was all the amount of time it was taking. It was a total of like four hours, I think. All right. So now you're, you've left Golita. It's 822 and you get to Buellton. So we're talking only about another 35, 40 miles up the coast from their last charging episode. All right, so it's 8.22 p.m. Uh, we're in Buellton, right? Yeah. Is it? Okay, we're trying Buelton to figure... or Buellton, we're not sure. We're trying to figure out how to say it. It's either Buellton or Buellton, but we're there. This <laughs> is going to... the split pea soup, in case anyone was wondering. Home of the, the split pea soup, apparently. We are 
charging for the last time uh, because this is the last charger that is in between here and slow uh, and then the next fast charger is actually at the airport there but we are charging here and then going to the house and then figuring out how to charge for the rest of the trip probably a trickle charge while we sleep or a 240 I would hope I don't want a trickle charge but I do I, we might yeah we've gone uh, 160 miles uh, in complete distance uh, we've driven four hours and 35 minutes our average kilowatt per mile is 4.2 uh, our average speed 36.2 I guess we we're in a lot of traffic and we now have 73 percent out of 76 I haven't yet figured out how to get it to charge at the same rate after 80 percent yet uh, it does slow down after 80 percent and I don't think there is a way to change that uh, but we've been charging pretty well consistently so check back in later and you and your girlfriend have Buellton. some issues with how you say Buellton because I think at this point you might be channeling Mel Herbert who cannot pronounce anything. Uh, yeah, but it wasn't in an Australian accent. <laughs> Thank goodness. And as uh, your girlfriend mentioned, I believe that's home of Anderson's pea soup as well. Yeah, home of the split pea soup. Supposed to be delicious. Next time you're going up there to charge, you'll be getting some pea soup. Anyways, you got to Buellton, you charged, you'd hit, driven 160 miles at that point and this was your last charge before you were going to do that final push into San Luis Obispo. Mm -hmm. So you arrived in San Luis Obispo at 9.30 that night according to your audio. We got here around 9.30. Uh, we used all of our miles. We literally got here. I was still on the battery but as I got in the car today and turned it on the gas started to kick in so we have zero miles when we got here and we're now using gas. We're going to use gas just to be convenient because we're going to go uh, shopping but then we're going to go charge the car. Uh, at a slow 240 volt for probably four hours. We went a entire total distance of 224 miles. So you charged three times for a half hour at a pop, so that added an hour and a half to your drive. Well, the last time wasn't essentially, it was not a half hour. The last one was we were just filling up uh, the last quarter of the battery. Okay. Um, in order to get Make all the way there, which we did. We The, the gas... Uh, backup engine didn't turn on until uh, the next morning when we turned the car on. Right. It was battery all the way up until we got there at 9.30, but there was no battery left. And you close. made a decision at that point to not trickle charge. She lives in an apartment, so to trickle charge, I'd have to trade spaces with her roommate who pays for that parking spot uh -huh. and then plug in. Or my other option was at 9.30 at night after a four-and-whatever-hour drive, drive my car over like about a mile and a half to the campus to go plug into their 240 volts. And, and then walk back. And then walk back, yeah. Right. And that was not really... That wasn't happening? No, I mean, it was an option, but it was <laughs> talked about very briefly until we uh, decided to stay home. Okay, so the next morning comes, and you have no EV miles on the car. At that point, you went to go and charge, or you just drove around on gas for a little while? No, at that point, it was uh, we were pretty cranky. <laughs> we woke up and we wanted breakfast, but um, she was moving back in, so we had no breakfast. We had no uh, right. We had no food in the house at all, so we went to uh, where did we go? We went to Trader Joe's, completely on gas, and that engine. That was the first time I'd driven on gas at all with that car, and that uh -huh. engine is it's interesting. It's loud. I mean, you can hear it in some of the audio. It's. Um, it doesn't sound like an engine. It just sounds like something working, if that makes sense. And does it have – in your audio, at one point a little bit later on, you talk about like the bat, the, the car cut down to like 20 miles an hour. Are oh, you driving like normal speeds at this point? Or since you're in a town, you don't, you don't really recognize that the car sort of 
driving itself slower because it has no EV charge. Because it doesn't no, drive no, no, no. on this generator battery. It's basically charging this battery, and the battery's moving the motor at the same time. So you're getting a little bit of... Yeah, no, so that, that motor is actually great for that car. It's a tiny car. It will charge the battery enough. It keeps it at 6% is what it does. It stays in between 6 miles to 10 miles. Sorry. Keep saying percent. I mean miles. So it was not ever at zero miles or no, it was? it kicks on at 6 miles. Oh, I see. Which on that tiny bar of yours that you can see on the on the dashboard uh-huh. is very, like you can hardly see it. Right. It's so minuscule. It's Yeah, it's very tiny. Um, but it kicks on at 6 and then as long as it's staying around that little 6 mile mark, it's fine. And I found that if you get on the freeway and start driving faster, if you're going over 60 it starts to drain the battery faster than that. That little two-stroke engine can produce uh, power. Okay. Where did you go to charge it after breakfast? Um, so she goes to Cal Poly, and uh, that week was Wow Week, which is very funny. It's watching the freshmen walk around. Okay. <laughs> we got to uh, charge in campus because you don't have to pay for weekends, and we had gotten there on a weekend, obviously. The Charge Now card that they give you with the BMW, so I already had money put to that account. And there's two points on campus, and one of them's the library, and it's fairly close. So, I just do that. So the and there, how many chargers were in that array? Was it just like oh, one or time. two? Or no, a bunch? no, there's. I think there's three altogether with two with two actual um, charging heads or or um, guns. Okay. On them. On each one, so yeah. six total charging yeah. cables coming out of them. Uh-huh. It's level two charging, so you're not using the CCS charging that no. you had been using. All the other charges had been the CCS quick charging. Yep. And you mentioned in your audio at one point like that it slows down at 80%, and you weren't really sure if you could change a setting. Now, that, just so you know, is to save the battery. Yeah. Right? So, like, as it gets fuller and fuller and fuller, if you keep trying to jam electrons in at high speed, like, it's very bad for the battery, and it can overheat. So that's why they do that, and the Tesla does the same thing. All of the electric cars slow down as they, as they get topped off. It's just a normal thing. It was slightly bothersome. Yeah. Only because you'd see it go up so quickly and you'd be like, okay, we're almost out of here, especially going up the coast. And then it would hit about 80% of that battery and it would start to slow down. You're there for like another 10 minutes. Right. So like the first 20 minutes getting up to 80%. Super quick. And then the next 10 minutes super slow. Super like slow. To, to do the, to the top off. That's the end. Like you got up to San Luis Obispo. It was a bit of a pain in the ass. Triple charging. So you made a very interesting decision about your ride home, and we're going to hear that right now. Except, of course, you are not going to hear it right now. We're going to save it for next week for Ben Part 2. Now, I was also going to do a little interview um, about going zero, but we're going to save that till next week. Give me a little bit more time to edit it, put some other interesting stuff in there. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is really, this really is, can I say, this is it. This is the end of Talking Tesla 54. Talk to you next week.